Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Dougie. Welcome back, Stephen's family. That's so good. I love seeing you back. What's the hug count at right now, Doug? Lots of hugs. If you love Doug, give him a hug. He will appreciate that. <laughs> Get that hug count up. Uh, well, hey, everybody. I'm Nick, one of the pastors here. Uh, I, it's my joy to bring God's Word to you this morning. Uh, this is the last sermon in the Summer in the Psalms series that we're in. And Psalms are the mixtape of the Old Testament, of the prayers and songs of the Old Testament saints. And today's Psalm, Psalm 12, where we're going today, is a prayer that connects and mixes in other parts of Scripture, just like we saw before. But this one is uniquely focused on our words, and it, it looks at what we say and how we say it, our speech. So let me ask you this uh, to start off. Have you ever played true, two truths and a lie? It's a little get-to-know-you game, right, with a fun but sinful twist to it. You get a lie to your friends, your new friends, where you give two truths about yourself and one lie, and they got to figure out which one is the lie. And you get to learn about people and to see who is the best liar and most untrustworthy person in that friend group. As a total joke, that's not the point of that game. Uh, it works, though, because uh, we all know how to do it. We all know how to lie and what it sounds like to lie. And nobody gets into that game and says, well, how do you play this game? How do you, how do you lie to somebody? Uh, nobody says that. And some people are better at it than others, but we all understand what to do. We all understand what it is to have words twisted in such a way for us to believe them, uh, whether they are true or not, no matter the heart behind them or not. And God's Word in Scripture actually recognizes this, actually sees people's words and shows us uh, that sometimes people do lie. And uh, even in the first sin, Adam and Eve's first sin is brought on by a game of two truths and a lie where the enemy gives two truths and then sneaks in a critical lie in there and wins the game, gets them to, gets them to sin. Adam and Eve's first response back to God was some twisted words, actually when they're pointing at each other and blaming each other for uh, what is going on. And the Bible doesn't sugarcoat uh, the history of God's people. Uh, using words in a twisted way to lie to each other, to gain power over each other. And uh, words are so very powerful, yet malleable, moldable, and shapeable, uh, so much so that humanity has twisted them for ages. And this is the problem we're looking at in Psalm 12. But it also shows us, not to give you a complete downer, it also shows us the good news of what God has done in response and so that's where we're going today. We're going to Psalm 12. Open up your app. Open up your Bible. Get there. I'm not turning anywhere else. I'll reference a few other spots, but we're not turning anywhere else today. And uh, this psalm splits nicely into two parts. Uh, the first section is two stanzas, uh, verses 1 through 4, and it impresses upon us that we should lament over twisted words, that we should lament over twisted words. And the second section, uh, which is the second two stanzas, uh, in verses 5 through 8, they impress upon us that we should listen to the words of the risen Savior. So we'll, work, we'll track through it uh, just verse by verse, take up verses at a time. Uh, so let's read it. Uh, let's read Psalm 12, verses 1 and 2. Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone, for the faithful have vanished among the children of man. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor with a flattering lips and a double heart they speak. Psalm starts out, this psalm starts out with a plea that David has for God to save him, save us. And what's the issue? Godly and faithful people are gone. 
can't find them, literally disappeared. And the descriptions of godly and faithful should actually do something in our minds, and it did something in the minds of the Hebrew readers. It referenced God's own self-description in Exodus 34, 6, where God says that he is abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. We miss it in English, but in Hebrew, it's, it's apparent that this word godly or faithful in some translations is referencing that steadfast love. It's like the people who show God's steadfast love, they're gone. The second one, faithful is, uh, or loyal in some translation, you can see in English how it connects, but that is referencing back to, this God's, uh, to God's self-description. We might miss it in English, but David, it, it's important for him. It's important that David shows us that this world lacks people that show God's own steadfast love and faithfulness. David sees a world of people that don't take their cues from the God of the universe or the God who gave them life. Humans don't express God's most cherished and repeated attributes. These two things come up all the time in the Old Testament. So that's problem one. Second problem, everyone lies to their neighbors. Flatters, they have a double heart. They say one thing and mean another. They say one thing and have some other agenda behind it. The double heart comes out looking and sounding good. Flattering lips are actually smooth lips. Like it comes out smooth, easy to take in. But it comes from a place of lies. So the first problem where there's no steadfast love and faithfulness leads to the next problem of lies, flattering, boasting, or not boasting, that's later, but uh, a double heart. It leads to a double heart. How big is this problem? Big. David says this is everyone. Everyone fits this bill. People that show steadfast love and faithfulness are gone. Children of man is a sweeping generalization. Everyone is even mentioned in uh, verse 2. Everyone a part of this. Everyone is culpable. And you're saying, Nick, that's rough. And I'm saying, yeah, it also gets worse. Then you're probably thinking, hey, Nick, you preach Psalm 89, which is another downer psalm. Do you just pick all the downer psalms? No, I don't. They're just good. We're getting to the good part and the reason why I picked this psalm. But track with me together. It gets worse. Uh, Verse 3. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boasts, and those who say with our tongue, we will prevail. Our lips are with us. Who is master over us? So what does these two verses add? They add boastfulness and a misplaced hope in twisted words. David is describing folks that boast and and use their tongue to get strength and to win over other people. These boasters believe that they can talk themselves into and out of anything, that they'll ultimately win with the words that they say. Even verse 4 shows how big this boast goes, where they say, if our lips are with us, who can be master over us? And the rhetorical answer, or the answer to that rhetorical question is nobody. Nobody. They reject all earthly masters, and they reject the king of the universe, God himself. This person essentially says, because I can find the right combination of words, tone, and timing, I can be my own master. It doesn't matter what I say. Whether it's good or true or not, it doesn't matter. Look, this is not good. This is setting up a very ugly picture It's an all-encompassing picture of humanity that sees people's hearts that do not value or imitate the steadfast love and faithfulness of the Lord. These good attributes of God, we just don't care. 
In a world that would rather use lies to gain power over people, manipulate people, protect themselves, to be strong, to be their own master, and so that they can get their way. And just because we are 3,000 years later doesn't make these words untrue. God, uh, David, carried along by the Spirit, wrote God's words down for everybody at all time, and everybody is a part of this. And I'm sure we already have ideas in our head of who lies and who manipulates that we've experienced before uh, coming against us. We know what marketing sounds like. We know what media sounds like. We've he heard these twisted words before. We know celebrities and political figures and televangelists and the other side of the conflict. We just hear lies and uh, flattery and boast all over. Or it could be the person that just threw you under the bus at work. Or the other person that you know from a different friend group telling rumors about you, so they go up, their popularity goes up, and yours goes down or your own precious children. They will lie straight to your face and give you a little sin grin back, and you just recognize that those kids are sinning at that point. They're trying to blame their sibling who wasn't even in the room for something that they did. This happens, and we see it in everybody else. But it's not just other people. We can see it in ourselves. Maybe one of those descriptions hits us and we see that the half-truth we told earlier this week is in view. The blame-shifting, the feigning ignorance. Every time we hear a viewpoint that we don't agree with and our, our anger gets up and we want to use our words to prevail over them. For me, it's when I see Scripture used out of context in like articles and stuff. I don't want to respond for mutual upbuilding and encouragement I want to respond to win, to show them how I'm smart and strong and how they're wrong and dumb. And that is not good, okay? That's a confession. That is not good. Don't do that. But it's hard to do that when you read Psalm 12. And there's already a ton of distrust in other people around the world. We feel it. We sense it. And it just proves David's point at this point, that everybody has done this, us included, but it feels like sometimes like we're in a Wild West standoff and everybody's got their guns up, right? But what I'm telling you today, it's not just everybody else, not just everybody you have your guns pointed at, it's us too. So here's what we're going to do, everybody. We're going to put our guns down, nice and slow, Nobody, no fast moves, okay? We're going to put them down. We're not going to throw stones today. What we're going to do is see that it's everybody, including David. David lied and manipulated. David had an affair with Bathsheba and tried to lie and manipulate to get her real husband to believe that he made the baby that he did. When that didn't work, David lied and had and used his words and his power to put Uriah, uh, Bathsheba's husband, at the front line and have everybody pull back so it, the perfect situation is set up for uh, Uriah to get killed. And it worked. So where I would rather have you look than everybody else is in yourself. I urge you to look at how pervasive this is, where you have seen yourself in this. I would rather have you spend your energy today, not pointing your guns at other people. Just put them down. I'd rather have you spend your energy and ask, where am I lacking in my heart with steadfast love and faithfulness? Where do I twist my words? Am I placing my hope in twisted words that I can talk into and out of anything? 
so I can protect myself, so I can gain power over other people, show them how they're wrong and dumb. Because your heart, you look inside because your heart is so intertwined in what your words and in, in how your words come out that even the creator of the universe who created you says is so. Jesus in Luke 6.45 says, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure in his heart uh, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the uh, heart, his mouth speaks. Our speech comes from our heart. We look internally to see where we're at with that. And when we see it, and we see uh, the, the sin and the twisted words across uh, the world today, what we, sh- what we should do is not get our guns up, it's lament. Lament is this holy ache and holy just pain that we feel when we see sin in us in the world. We lament that we live in a world where lies, false flattery, boasts, and op- oppression exist, and we have participated and been affected by it. We lament that the world is sorely lacking in steadfast love and faithfulness. We lament that we feel the need to sift through words that we hear to find the actual truth. We lament that we're presented with verbal MMA battles nearly everywhere. We lament that we have to watch our backs at work and school. We lament that we even feel the pull to succumb to this temptation sometimes. We get sad. We get bummed out. We should let this psalm lead us to lament at the vast amount of twisted words that we will say and hear and that nobody gets a pass. And in those moments, we feel ready to prevail over another person, to use our words, to beat them, to win, to be strong over another person. Psalm 12 is leading us to not attack, but to lament. To say in the midst of of all the sin that we see, the, the twisted words and the fray that's going on, to say, I wish it wasn't like this. And then David, like David, we call out to God. David starts with it, save, O Lord. We see the absence of your steadfast love and faithfulness in people, and we cry out to you to do something. This is our cry too. See, like church friends, this is our cry. Instead of twisted words that we throw out, we lament and we cry out to God. God, do something in the middle of this where we see false hope and twisted words and we lament over them. And the good news is, he responds. The good news is there's the rest of Psalm 12 that we'll turn to. The good news is, in in the second part of Psalm 12, we listen to the words of our risen Savior. Let's keep reading. We'll see the good news there. Let's read verses 5 and 6. Because the poor are plundered, Because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. The words of the Lord are pure words. Like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. So this is what happens. Twisted words meant to prevail over people actually work, okay? They're able to cause both spiritual and physical poverty. Those words can spark in us a desire to sin back to cause us to trip up, to stumble, to be guided into just more twisted words with spiritual poverty. 
We also hear words and how other people use them to manipulate and gain and get their desires met at the expense of other people. And this is physical poverty. And then we get this phrase from the Lord to cause us to pause. He says, I will now arise. Why should we pause there? Because Psalms connects with a ton of other books in the Bible. Psalm 10, last week with Eric, we saw that Psalm 10 connects with nearly everything in the New Testament. It's all about Jesus. And when I preached Psalm 89 last, we saw how Psalm connects together as a, as a book, a cohesive book, where Psalm 89 is the bottoming out of the Psalms. It's the lowest point. There's no good in it. But here, this word arise has come up multiple times in the previous 12 chapters. So track with me here. Psalm 3, the psalmist makes a request for God to arise. It's repeated in Psalm 7, arise, O Lord, in your anger. Psalm 9, arise, let man not prevail. Psalm 10, arise, O Lord, lift up your hand. Do not forget the afflicted. Arise is this request for God to do something. It occurs four times before Psalm 12. And then we get an answer in Psalm 12, 5. I will now arise. Uh-oh. The God of the universe has heard the lament and the groans of the impoverished. He had heard the lament and the cries of his people. And arise is this growing wave in the first 12 chapters of Psalms, a growing wave that breaks on the shore of Psalm 12. The party is over, liars, boasters, and flatterers. He's showing up. And what does he do? He meets the twisted words that we hear with his own words in Psalm 12, 6. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in the furnace on the ground, purified seven times. Hallelujah, the laments that we say have been heard, and he responds back with pure words, not twisted ones. Ones that David shows us have been uh, removed all imperfections, removed all other metal. It is pure silver. His words are so pure. There's no agenda in them. There's no lies, no double heart, no flattery. He is clear. He has clarity. You can go looking for a word out of place, and you will not find it. He meets the twisted words of the first half of the psalm with his own pure words. God's not like the friend with zero social filter in our life. We all have them. Those friends that just say stuff and get themselves into trouble, he's not like that. He's not like the person that keeps embellishing the story and adding to it until it's like a ginormous fish story that's nearly completely untrue. We won't find a word out of place. God does not do this with his words. We are given an image of silver refined. It's 100% pure. And David is figuratively saying that God takes the time to make sure his words are true and good and come from his heart of steadfast love and faithfulness. And we need him to speak. There's nobody else's words that we need more. Not mine, not Dougie's, not anybody else's. We need his word. His words are the most truthful, the most pure. We find hope and listen to these words of this risen Savior. When we lament and cry out, when we see the twisted words and the sin from them, we lament and cry out to God, and we listen to God responding with his own true words. So I am absolutely telling you to crack open that Bible and to read it. 
I'm also absolutely telling you that while you are in prayer, that you get quiet before the Lord and you listen for what he's telling you. He still does that. He still speaks words today. So listen to his words. Run to him so that when you feel the pull of twisted words, you feel the ache of the twisted words, that you listen to his pure words and find hope, find healing. And with these words, he guards us, both externally and internally. And the last part of Psalm 12 describes this. Let's read it. Psalm 12, verses 7 and 8. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. On every side, the wicked prowl. As vileness is exalted among the children of man, God and his word keeps us. It guards us from this generation that we have taken a part in. This is good news. Somebody's speaking truth out there. And we're seeing that it's him. And there's a truth that we could miss in this, that we're guarded from this generation forever. And being on this side of the resurrection, we know that this psalm is ultimately pointing us straight to Jesus. Where the disciple John, when he wrote his gospel, he said that Jesus is a divine word, the second person of the Trinity, come as fully God and fully man to be on earth. And he only spoke out of God's pure attributes of steadfast love and faithfulness. He spoke and taught truth, and he did not lie. He did not flatter. He did not boast. He went and responded to both the physically and the spiritually poor. And even before his death, Jesus could have used his words, found the right combination of words, tone, and timing to get out of the sham trial he was put through, to overpower Roman rulers and Jewish elite people, and he didn't. He didn't use his words to prevail. Jesus could have used his words to call down legions of angels to get him off the cross and stop the whole mess, to overtake the Romans and Pharisees and establish his kingdom on the earth. And he didn't. He let it all happen. Nearly completely silent. And he went to the cross to die for our sin, for all of our lies and half-truths, for all of our flattery, and all the words that we use to try to prevail over other people. And then like the Lord in Psalm 12, Jesus arose from the grave. Rose from the grave to give us new life. Arose from the grave to proclaim the good news. That we can be saved from our sins. That we can be guarded from this generation. That our hearts and our words can be guarded and informed by him. This is good news. So much so that when Jesus spoke a word and people left him, he turns to his 12 disciples and says, are you going to leave too? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Friends, do you believe the gospel? Are you seeing the hurtful and sinful ways that we have used words before Are you believing the gospel to be forgiven in Jesus? Saying, yes, Lord, take my sin. Yes, Lord, I believe that you got up again so that I could have new life, one protected from these words, one where your words are the truest thing, where your words are what I desire. Is it the first time you're lamenting over your own sin? Or is it the hundredth time where you see 
the words that you have said. You feel the conviction. You're believing the gospel anew in this moment. Friends, respond to the gospel. This is the true words of God to us, the good news, the good news that meets our lament. We believe the gospel that it is true, that he speaks good, true words to us, and we run to him for those. Also, as we close, if you're truly lamenting uh, how we have twisted words, let's take a step and put some heat onto our words by asking two questions before they come out of our mouth. One, does what I say come from a heart of steadfast love and faithfulness that I've seen in the Lord? Is that true? Is that not? Ask yourself that before you say something. Second question, does what I say come from a heart that longs for the truth of the gospel to spread and be heard and believed? Ask yourself those two questions. So the next time when I see an article that uses Scripture improperly, and I feel the pull to get angry and go get them, I won't. I'll lament my own sin, ask myself these questions, and pray that people hear the true word of the gospel and be thankful that God guards me from my own sin. I don't know the moments that will come up for you this week, but I want you to be aware that the Lord still speaks. He still speaks to you in prayer and through Scripture, and He can guard us from these twisted words, both externally and internally. It'll be a wrestle, but we want His words to, to ring out, to be in our ears, to be in other people's ears. So let's pray to that end. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you speak today. Father, that Jesus arose and he gave us the gospel, the true words of salvation, that he died and rose again so we can have new life in him, fully cleansed of all of our sin. Father, we thank you that your steadfast love can be worked in us so that's what comes out of our mouth, just like you. Father, we thank you that you speak pure and true words that we may not see or hear anywhere else. Father, help us to listen. Help us to listen to your words. And Father, help us to lament. Help us to lament when we see twisted words, lies, flattery, boast, and hope in them. And hope and lament when we hear those things. Father, we thank you for this. We thank you for this psalm. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.